first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Hey, everybody. Since we're talking about Everest, I found somebody that actually has climbed Everest 10 times. Klorgi Smefjersen, is that correct pronunciation? Yeah, that's right. So tell me about your Everest adventures. That's so amazing. Congratulations. It's funny. A lot of people think it's very challenging, but it was actually really easy for me. You just put on the headset. And I mean, nowadays, it's like you can start over a million times if you're you you know if you're tired and you need to go somewhere, you have an appointment or something. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit confused. Headset, do you mean like the oxygen tank or the goggles? What are you talking about? Well, that's how they come up in the VR, but... In my case, I'm talking about the Oculus. Okay, so you have climbed Everest in VR 10 times. Yeah, it's a really cool game called The Climb. So, um, yeah, it's it was uh, pretty fun. <laughs> All right, um, let's just cut this out and I'll do a different intro with somebody else. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Clorgy, was it? Clorgy Smithsonian. Thank you. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, your host. This is the show where we break down a movie with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we are talking about Everest, the freezing, terrifying movie based on a true story from 2015, which I found out was loosely inspired by a book called Into Thin Air by John Krakauer and Beck Weathers' Left for Dead, My Journey Home from Everest. But apparently there is some drama to what it's based on, which we will get into. But first, he's an old friend of ours. He's an actor, producer, writer from the upcoming film Occupation Rainfall. Hashtag bring the rain. Yeah. <laughs> and he's our bad science senior Aussie expert. It's Zach Garrett. Thanks, mate. I'm glad I'm the senior Aussie expert. That's not. Nice. I feel like I've been promoted since last time. <laughs> I did contemplate uh, putting you as the junior, as junior. expert as a joke, but I did not want to insult you. Thank you, Ethan. I appreciate that. And yes, thanks for that. Thanks for that intro. Yeah, hashtag bring that rain, mate. Hashtag bring the rain, baby. Can't wait for this movie. If people don't know, you were previously on our show talking about the show Seven Worlds, One Planet, the Australia episode which was absolutely fantastic and that is your home it is yeah so talking about obviously discussing mountains and altitude today from one of the flattest continents in the world where our mountains are more hills is going to be mm -hmm. uh, is going to be a very interesting conversation yeah we're probably in a similar boat because i'm from miami where there's also just absolutely no mountains at all so like pretty much everything about this movie is my nightmare yeah it, it is it's sort of it's so foreign to me the, the whole notion of you know, we talk about altitude sickness and and uh, hypoxia. Is it called hypoxia? Yeah, yeah, things like that. You go, oh my, this is this is weird to me. I mean, Australia's highest mountain is oh. Mount Kosciuszko, and I think it's two thousand feet. No, that's like, and it's sort of. I think you made that up. That doesn't sound like a real name. <laughs> but uh, to correct me, and hopefully you, we are talking to another guest who I'm absolutely psyched to have on the program. She's a journalist, an artist, a doctor who is also, I found out, a wilderness first responder. It's Sapna Parikh. Hi, thanks so much for having me. 
Thanks for being here, Subna. I'm excited. This movie was pretty, uh, it was both emotional and I don't know, it was pretty incredible from a medical standpoint too. Yeah. Had you seen it before? I had seen it before, but it had been a long time. So I rewatched it. Hmm. Did you cry? I'm just going to ask you, you know, straight up. Just a little. It's mm -hmm. like, it's emotional. I don't know. I don't want to give away. Oh, you can give it away. Spoiler alert. Yeah. What about you? Did you guys cry? I was surprised that I did. I got to say, I was like... I didn't think that that was coming. And then, yeah, towards the end where he's talking about Sarah, I just couldn't handle it. Mate, I, I actually have a uh, shortcut to send my girlfriend bursting into tears because we, we saw this movie. <laughs> it's awful. It's I don't like, know if that's I'll, useful I'll, or not. I'll explain in a second. I'll explain in a second. Let me clarify that. Yep. All I have to say to my girlfriend is, good night, my love. Try not to worry too much. Oh, no. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> Every single time. So good. Yeah. Yeah. It is tough. Oh, it's it's bewildering. And, and it, it's it's heartbreaking. And we left that movie. When, when the, the lights came up, everyone was just silent for 15, 20 seconds. Then slow kind of clap of that was just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And then we went home. Of course, we read about it. We looked it up and the whole Mountain Madness expedition yeah. and how bad it was. It was, oh, it, it's captivating. Yeah, it seems like a rarity too, because from what I've gathered, it's pretty accurate. I mean, there's some discrepancies, obviously, from the true story to the film, because it's a film. But in general, you know, when movies say that they're based on a true story, it's like they start just making up characters and people die who don't actually die um, and such. But but this movie seemed like true to form. Is that accurate, Sepner? I mean, this, this seems... Oh, yeah, hit me. ...bewildering. Yeah, I think it was pretty accurate from, you know, they even had kind of like the text pop up at the beginning and the end where they're talking about where these people are now. And some of the people in there have written books themselves. I know there was some drama with like John Krakauer saying he wasn't quite presented the way that he thought he should be. And he says, you know, his book is the correct way. And then there's like four other books written on the topic, one of the women from the other expedition team that went up wrote her own book as well. So I think they all have their little, you know, gripes about how it was portrayed. But I think from like the actual things that happened and who died and when and the storm, I think that was all pretty accurate. Yeah, I have um, the little facts you're talking about here, the drama, because I know everybody loves a little bit of drama. So we might as well spark that up. So first of all, I have a quote from Krakauer who said, climbing Mount Everest was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. I'd wish I'd never gone. I suffered for years of PTSD and still suffer from what happened. I'm glad I wrote a book about it. But, you know, if I could go back and relive my life, I would have never climbed Everest. Wow. And then he said that he denounced the movie stating that some of its details were fabricated and defamatory. He also expressed regret regarding Sony's rapid acquisition of the rights to his book. And the director of this film, Baltazar Kormarkor, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, I tried my best, responded claiming that Krakauer's first-person account was not used as source material for the film and alleging that Krakauer's version conflicted with actual events. So, shots fired. Is there a clarification as to what the actual events may be? No. I could not find that out. I think, I don't know, maybe out of respect, they just kind of left it at that. Yeah, because I remember Be Becca, uh, Beck, sorry. Um, Beck Weathers? Beck Weathers, mm -hmm. yeah. I Beck remember Weathers. thinking like, is that really his last name? That's yeah. Really his last name. <laughs> really his last yeah, name? Yeah, because I remember he was quite vocal about it afterwards because I remember I, I saw an interview with him on 60 Minutes where mm -hmm. he showed the, the effects of the frostbite. On his on his face and on his fingers. Yeah, wow. And and putting my hand up here, I experienced snow for the first time in my life 
in December. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I've never been to snow before. And I, I went to Pennsylvania to shoot a project and it was my first time in my life I'd ever experienced anything below zero. So it was squally. It was cold. It was like minus six or minus seven Celsius. How cold was it where these guys are, Sepna? Like how cold was it getting at that altitude? Um, definitely like sub-zero temperatures. Subs- I don't know how far down, you know, the summit of Everest is 29,029 feet. So yeah, and the the oxygen's down, the amount of oxygen that you're getting at the top is like a quarter of what you're getting at sea level, 28%. Oh my God. So yeah, freezing at the top. I can't believe you've just seen snow for the first time. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah, somehow that's the craziest fact. <laughs> it was, it was, a, I, I was, I was working on something in Australia and I, I literally got on the plane. I was on the beach surfing and then 48, 72 hours later, I was in Pennsylvania with snow up to my ankles. So it was, it was surreal to experience. And then when you look at this movie, you look at these guys go through and I, I come across something before today. I was looking at uh, Vladivostok on like far Eastern Russia and it was mm-hmm. minus 45 degrees Celsius. And that was just a regular day for them. And you think about these blokes and these, these, these women and these men who climb Everest and the Sherpas yeah. who, are, who are adapted to it. Like, sorry, I, sh- I should ask, referring back to Beck Weathers, how long does your skin have to be exposed to that kind of cold before you do lose your nose? And your before hands. you lose your nose, yeah. I mean, he was out there for quite some time, like even that overnight sort of just buried with his face, at least how they portrayed it in the movie. You know, to get frostbite at that temperature doesn't take long, but to have that level of necrosis, skin necrosis, where you're losing your nose, yeah, we're talking like hours. He was out there overnight. So terrible. Yeah. And also pretty accurate, because I was I was shocked when you get to see, you know, his like nose is black, if you haven't seen the movie, and his hands, the same thing. They're showing his hands as he's getting up, and his fingers are like, they look like ashes, basically. But that's exactly what happens if you're stuck in the snow. Yeah. One of the things you talked about, or Zach, you just said, you know, like people adapt when they're up there, and these Sherpas have, it just seems to be so much easier for them. And there's, there is something called acclimatization. They talk about it in the movie where, the Jake Gyllenhaal character, he's like, sit down and acclimatize, man. You know, like they've brought it up several times. They did these acclimatization um, ascents where they went up and then came back down. So the whole point of that is to adapt your body from a physiological standpoint. It doesn't quite help with the the frostbite thing you're talking about, but you do build up more red blood cells and your plasma volume shifts and you're able to adapt your breathing shifts so, you know, wow. over the course of four to five days and then several weeks, if you're there, you can actually be in a better spot to be able to climb up there safely. Do you think that it would have helped then if they did more of that? Because it's said in the film that um, that they did it three times. They were like, we're going to go up and down three times to get you acclimated. Um, but it seemed like that wasn't enough. There was also one guy, Anatoly, I think his name was, that said, I'm not using oxygen. So was he yeah, just... He- yeah, he the was Russian amazing. guy. Yeah. He was like solid. Yeah. <laughs> he was a beast. Like seriously. <laughs> Big time. Dude. Yeah. I'm so like- is that, but is that like um, ideal? Yeah, I think it's ideal. I don't know that just doing a few more of those acclimatization ascents would have helped. I think mm. what they have found, there's like this debate over supplemental oxygen is like, if you're there doing it over the course of several weeks, for example, and like really acclimatize, you might be in a better position to do it. The other debate is that a lot of these climbers now are not as 
trained and that's the commercialization of Everest and you know Scott Hall that character from New Zealand who was played by an Australian actor yeah, Jason Clark yeah yes um he was one of the first to start that commercialization thing and mm. I think the concern became like there's these amateur people they showed a scene where there there was like the guide was telling people like this is how you put crampons on your shoes and they had never heard of like the concept. So I think it's a mix. I think more climatization and time would help. But I think part of it mm -hmm. is like, you just have people going up there that maybe are not quite ready to. Okay. I, I definitely have a question about that. That is for both of you. But let me real quick backtrack a second, because I have a quick fact here about Beck Weathers. We were talking about Mr. Weather the Storm, because <laughs> something they didn't show in the movie that happened in real life that I thought made his character well i guess him as a person just that much more impressive is that at the time in 96 if you haven't seen the movie again he gets rescued by a helicopter eventually they're able to get this helicopter up to 19,860 feet so the helicopter pilot was this nepalese lieutenant colonel mandan katri chetri and it was the highest rescue ever completed at the time it set a record for highest helicopter landing on national geographic uh, according to national geographic but unlike the movie when it came up weathers gave up his spot for somebody else there was a taiwanese climber named makulu gahu who was in worse condition than beck and so he sat back let the helicopter take them down and then the helicopter was able to come back and get Beck, which, wow. yeah, I just found so wild. And then as another like little side note, the record was broken for this highest helicopter landing, in case you're curious about that, which I was. In 2005, test pilot Didier Desala landed his turbo engine helicopter on the top of Mount Everest. Wow. What? Really? That's correct. That's Two amazing. 2005. Um, wow. So I guess they advanced helicopter technology within that 10-year yeah. span or so. Well, they touch on it in the film. They say how the air is too thin to give the the rotors the correct amount of lift to keep them up there. Right. And I think there's a moment where, where they, they literally slide off the edge of the mountain. Yeah. He's like, do you mind if we free fall for a little <laughs> yeah. bit? And, yeah, then sure. and then the blades will pick up. Is that all right? And he's like, yeah, I love sure. That. I love like, that, actually. Who asks that Asking question? for permission. Sure. <laughs> Hold on to your pillow, guys. Yeah. Like, that's, that's wild. That's absolutely wild. Because that, that, that was a question I always asked is, why not just get a helicopter up there? You know, right, that's what course. they're for, surely. And then, yeah. of course, well, duh, you know, the, the air is thin. Yeah. And actually, I, I wanted to ask something as well. So you've got, say, you know, the, the Sherpas, they're obviously quite athletically in tune because of their body works on less oxygen. Does that mean when they come down to Earth, they've got like a bit of a John uh, John Carter thing where mm. they get down to Earth and they're a little bit more, say, superhuman? Ooh. Oh, yes. Wait, I don't know the reference of the person you just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a like non-successful Disney movie, well, if that's it's correct. A very, it's a very esoteric. It, it's a novel from the 30s about a guy from Earth who gets taken by aliens and he goes back to Mars and he's just a normal yeah. human, but the gravity on Mars means that he's a bit more superhuman. Mm, he's right. he's yeah. just himself, but he's just in an environment that makes him extraordinary. So is that like that with the Sherpas? Yes. And what you actually see that with often too is with athletes. Like when you train at altitude, your body adapts 
with some of those things that I mentioned, like the more red blood cells, you know, which means more oxygen carrying capacity because it's the hemoglobin in your red blood cells that's carrying oxygen. And you have your plasma volume shifting, you have your respiratory pattern shifting, you're just able to deliver more oxygen to your body more efficiently. And so you see even athletes doing that. It's called train high, sleep low. They do that on the mountain. So you, you can train at altitude and then come back down and you notice a difference. Similarly, there's that concept of blood doping, which is illegal, but it's the same concept. Like by giving yourself more red blood cells, which is illegal in like competitive sports, you're increasing your oxygen capacity. So by doing it at altitude, you're doing that naturally. Is it legal for say Australian actors to do? Can we have Zach blood <laughs> dope and, and report back? It increases the acting capacity. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have no comment. Well, on that note about Australians, because remember the, the 68 games in Mexico City, Mm-hmm. was the highest Olympic Games ever held. And it was the most bizarre and abnormal when it came to setting records because you had all these countries that like Chile and people from the Andes and things like that who uh, were doing these sports that were just kicking the asses of, you know, these athletes who were usually professionals at throwing javelin or things like that because they weren't adapted to the high, to the high altitude. Wow. And the Australian athletes, and this is, this is a true story, the Aussie athletes got to Mexico City and they couldn't walk up the flight of stairs to their hotel rooms. Oh my God. Because they they got there and they went, oh, that's right, Jesus. It's like 10,000 feet or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm not joking. They had like three weeks Whoa. to acclimatize. So they basically just ran laps around Mexico City for three weeks until their lungs adjusted to the capacity. Man. So, so it's not yeah. just about like how strong you are or how in shape you are. It's like, okay, but what altitude? Where are you training, yeah. bro? So is that what it comes down to, say, oxygen efficiency is what you're saying, Sapna? Yeah, exactly. And your body... You, if you're at sea level, like I'm in New York City right now, we are at sea level. We have no reason to increase our red blood cells, but yeah, it's about how it's about oxygen carrying capacity. And so, by putting yourself in that environment, your body adapts if you give it time. <laughs> That's some crazy stuff. My question for both of you guys: You seem, at least compared to me, to be way more adventurous people. Um, I like to sit inside and have a nice tea, but. <laughs> Why I'm thinking the whole time watching this movie and and a lot of movies that we've watched on the podcast, why would you want to do this? Would either of you want to do this? Have you gone climbing? Tell me about the benefits and how in God's name it is worth the risk. What do they say in the movie? They touch on it. They they give that uh, famous Edmund Hillary quote. Why do it? Because it's there. (laughs) Why not? I was like, oh, yeah, good reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you guys climb? Is there something you do that's similar in some way that that there's a risk to it that you feel is like, well, but I get this and this out of it? Well, actually, I think something is incredible travels and amazing photography on her website. I'd love to hear what she has to say first for that because, I mean, you are truly an adventure journalist. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I want to hear from you too. Um, Yeah, I I don't – it's funny. I have no interest in climbing Everest whatsoever. I think they talk about it like the suffering. Yeah. but I do love hiking and I love scuba diving and, you know, I am a wilderness first responder and I trained in surgery and public health. And like, I think over the years when I was a reporter and just loved hiking, like I got really interested in extreme medicine too, like what happens to your body when you push it to the extremes, which is why I'm really interested in like altitude medicine and depth medicine. Um, but I don't really have that drive to climb. And I there is some science to it too, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen some of these other, there's like 
like Free Solo that came oh, out yeah. recently. The guy mm-hmm. that free climbed El Capitan. Yeah, it's like insane. dopamine release for some people versus cortisol for like this thrill seeking um behavior. It's like this dopamine reward. But I think for me it's like I don't I don't have any interest in climbing Everest, but I do love that other adventure, yeah, you know, like exploring. It seems yeah. like, yeah, calculated risk is kind of a little more your, yes. yeah, your yeah. pace there. I like that. Yeah. I, well, I see. I, I would hundred percent give it a crack, just for, <laughs> just, just for like, <laughs> just, just for a giggle. It's like I think it. it th- there's a there's an intrigue to it, like you said something like to be taken completely out of your comfort zone and to be presented with something that you have to be so focused on and so committed to it. And like you said, you know, the, the sort of the, this is not a touristy place. This is not a place where you go and you take the selfie, you put the hashtag up and you go home. You know, like you said, this requires weeks and months of training. Just be capable of getting up and maybe get to the top if the weather's all right. Mm-hmm. But like for me in Australia, like I grew up with, with brother, like my younger brother and I grew up on a block full of blokes all the same age. So we're all rat bags, you know, climbing trees and jumping off roofs and doing stupid things. And like it, it's sort of like I think for, for me I would do it as like a team kind of exercise like if you're with your mates it's much easier to push yourself and I think mm. that's what this movie touched on like Doug he wanted to get up there be the post the postal worker who climbed Everest one could argue that he was the first domino that set the whole thing off but um yeah so for me it would be about sharing something collectively and being part of a team and enjoying the experience together. You know, it's like when you're surfing with your mates back in Australia and the swell's really big. You don't think about it because you're just with each other. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that would be the that would be the drive for me. And I think like you said, that dopamine payoff would be doing something collectively and doing something together. Putting the dope yeah. putting the dope in dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds awesome and admirable, but I still think like surfing, like you said, sounds way cooler and less risk. I just I'm looking at these guys up here, especially I gotta say the tourism aspect of this seems so backwards to me. And I don't know if they still do it where they take up like amateur climbers because they kind of just want to be the guy that climbed Everest. Um, I'm sure they do. I have I have a feeling like knowing what I know about society nowadays, it's like, oh, there's got to be more tourism there than ever or something. But yeah, I don't know. It just seems like so backwards. It seems like the free solo guy, forgetting his name now, of course, but he's that seems like, okay, that dude should climb Everest and people like him. But then like people like me have no business being there. Yeah, I don't, I think there's still um I think at the moment with this coronavirus thing like tourism has dropped but I definitely think they're still bringing up people. I would hope that like they would not want to bring up somebody who's completely unprepared because it's kind of like making them look bad, you know, right. like their company looking bad. I that's the wrong reason, but like yeah, knowing what we know about people and society, I do think they're probably I mean it's like the amount of money. He's he said he paid him 65,000 65k in 95 or 96 yeah Yeah. oh you're right come on it was like his seventh or eighth go at it too he was trying to get up there it was like his seventh or eighth try like a million dollars bro yeah and like you said in in 90 like 95 like that's a that that's incredible that's absolutely incredible when you think about it kids a whole nother school yeah exactly right yeah i'm not trying (laughs) to to, say i'm not trying to disrespect (laughs) money i know these people are real i'm just it just yeah. seems a little, yeah, wild to me. But I'm also, yeah. again, I don't, you know, like going camping for a night. So this is a biased <laughs> perspective. Um, okay, so I want to talk about the ridiculous risks that you're taking, like the diseases you can get and the, the snow blindness or sun blindness. And I, I you know, I want to talk about the, what's it called? Dexa, dexamethasone. Topical. Is it topical? Uh, yeah, because president. That, that's Trump what he's on. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Wow, good call. Jesus Christ. 
hot Lanta. Um, before we uh, comment on that schmuck, I have a couple uh, uh, quick facts here. I wanted to mention uh, Yazuko Namba. She's in the film, and she was just a super badass. I was researching her. She was 47 years old, unfortunately died on the mountain in the movie and on that day. Um, but she was the second Japanese woman to reach all of the highest peaks on each of the seven continents. So pretty unbelievable feat that she was able to accomplish. And then I wanted to ask you guys, do you know, because they mentioned George Everest a couple times in the movie. Do you know about him slash the naming of Everest? I know that he was a surveyor of sorts yeah. and like helped map out. Right. Yes. So I, I wanted to say a few little facts that I found out about him that I thought was kind of crazy. So first of all, he was Colonel Sir George Everest. It's not pronounced Everest. Uh, his name was pronounced Everest. And he never climbed or even saw Mount Everest at all. He, he just put it simply, on the map? <laughs> so, well, no, he was, like you said, a, a survey of sorts. And he was responsible for hiring a man named Andrew Scott Waugh, who made the first formal observations of the mountain, and Radhanath Sikdar, who calculated the height of Everest. And then he wrote to the Royal Geographical Society to announce that the mountain was believed to be the highest in the world and proposed it be named, quote, after my illustrious predecessor, as it was, quote, without any local name that we can discover. But of course, there were, in fact, several native names among the Nepalese and Welcome Tibetans. <laughs> But those areas were closed off to the British at the time. Right. So anyways, in 1865, this society officially named it Mount Everest. And I just thought it was funny that A, it's named wow. after a guy that we're mispronouncing his name. And B, that this dude was never even on this mountain or saw the mountain. Well, I think that's only fair we mispronounce it then if he wasn't even there. <laughs> you know, if, if, oh, good call, if actually. It was yeah. fair, if it was fair to him about it, he would he would have you know made at least a, at least one crack. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, so he basically did nothing, not a whole no. lot. No, he sort yeah. of just, That guy sat on his butt his whole life. He just pointed to it and went, there it is. Yep, that's it. And didn't. Didn't do anything. He wrote a letter. Everybody else, he didn't even measure it. Some He didn't even measure it. He hired a guy to measure some it. Some poor buggers there with a protractor and a set square <laughs> going, yeah. And he yeah. Been precise too, mind you. Then old mate just writes it in a letter and says, look what I discovered. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. I was also wondering if Everest is the tallest mountain. And technically, it's not the tallest mountain because... It's not. Uh, oh, do you know about this, Sopna? I do know about this too. I no, It's the highest from sea level. Right. Yes. But there's others that is but under. Not, is that correct? There's one underwater and then there's one that's by the equator in Ecuador. Do you, do you know the one I'm going to mention? The technical tallest mountain winner? Hawaii. It is in Hawaii. That's all I know. It's like Hawaii under half underwater or something like that. Mauna Kea is the name ah. of it, Mauna Kea. <laughs> it's a dormant volcano on the big island of Hawaii. And when it's measured from its base, which is below sea level, it rises approximately 33,474 feet wow. from the Pacific Ocean floor. I love that you looked this up too. So that, that's like wearing your tallest pair of shoes and then measuring your height from that, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's cheating. And that's basically like putting cheating. on 12 inch stilettos and going, yeah, I'm six foot eight. Yeah. You know? And we can only see your head. You can only see your head exactly right. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. that counts. I'm six foot eight. Trust me. Totally counts. Yeah. <laughs> totally counts. Well, actually, so on, on that note, okay, so there's this old, you know, there's this old sort of trivial thing about Everest always getting taller. 
each because with, with continental drift, Everest is getting like an inch taller or something mm. every year or two years. It's like in puberty. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's got a, like a little measurement on the doorway in the kitchen doorway, you know. Um, so does that mean the one in Hawaii is getting taller, or is that getting about the same height? Is that is that a possibility? I don't know. I don't know. It's like, is it an active volcano? I don't know. Does that mean it's? It's getting, a dormant I have no idea. volcano. I don't know. A dormant. dormant. Okay. Okay. So maybe, we got to look at the know. door. We got to look at the sharpie marks on the door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about something that stood out to me immediately when it was mentioned in the film and it was mentioned a few times but they call it the death zone now when something like this comes up in a movie typically it's like a science fiction term for like the death zone of space or something like that which doesn't exist but in this case it totally exists and it's like the final ascent uh distance is that is that true and and why do they call it the death zone and why do they call it rainbow valley also yeah, the death zone is true. And it's above, it's basically anything above 8,000 meters, which I think is around 26,000 feet. But it's basically the area where you, the oxygen, the partial pressure of oxygen in the atmosphere is so low that humans cannot actually acclimate to it. You cannot survive there for an extended period of time without supplemental oxygen. So that's the death zone. Um, most humans like above 5,000 meters have a tough time even like live, you know, having civilization there, but it's above 8,000 is the death zone. And the Rainbow Valley is, it's really like, a, it's a name that seems like a really happy name. And it's actually the Rainbow Valley of death. It's where they have <laughs> colorful cadavers. Oh, yeah. Frozen in time on the mountain and colorful because of their like Gore-Tex jackets. So it's the rainbow vet. There's another one I think called Green Boots Cave. Green There's boots. you know another corp a cadaver, a corpse. I don't even know. If None of it sounds good. Like Mario Kart. Um, uh, rainbow map. Bridge was a, that was the level of death. That was impossible. Oh, it was? Okay, so it wasn't a positive. All right. Yeah. I never yeah, they did it on purpose, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I assume at least that they can't get these bodies because it's in the death zone, because it's like too hard to go and try to rescue their bodies. So they just leave them. Is that, does that, is that why? Yeah. Like they've tried over the years to like put it on the company. It's your responsibility to bring the person down, but it became, it's like hard to enforce, you know, and then a rescue mission and that, you know, is just like endangering the lives of others. So They've, you know, they found, um, I think, Mallory's body in mm. the late in 1999, 75 years where yeah. he died. So it's like they're mummified up there. Jesus. And there's, I think, around 150 bodies up on Mount Everest. Um, some climbers have heard, like, if they're climbing and they see them, they will try to dislodge them, so to speak. Um, gosh, I know it all sounds terrible. I don't know how to make it sound good. But there's a quote in the movie that kind of summarizes it where he says, he literally says human beings are not meant to function at the altitude of a 747. Yes, and that's exactly right. I'm just like, well, why are you going up there, you schmucks? It's obvious. There's a bunch of dead bodies just hanging out up there. Like, what other warning do you need? that this is not a place that people should go. And Green Boots, on that note with Green Boots, Green Boots is actually used as a navigation marker. Oh. Yeah, I, I remember reading this. Apparently, they discovered who he is. He's a Pakistani climber who died there oh. in the early 90s. And mm. it, it's it's when you can actually look at the photos of Rainbow Valley, and it is quite morbid. It really is. 
um, oh. the green boots himself is essentially used as a as a navigation point. It, it, they, they 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 say go to Green Boots Cave and then turn left, kind of thing. Go to Green yeah. Boots Cave and then turn around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> go home, get the hell out of there. <laughs> Think happened to him? Yeah, exactly right. There's, there's, your, there's your example. You sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, that's not a Starbucks sign. That's not a mailbox. No, no, exactly. And then when you think like Scott Hall and, and those guys, they're still there. They're still up there. And imagine, I mean, I can't comprehend what kind of how much emptiness you would feel as as the as the widow or widower of um, of someone you lose on mm-hmm. Everest, knowing that they are, like you say, something pretty much literally frozen in time. Yeah, and like you said, Zach, they're like a marker. These climbers are climbing over some of these bodies, just like climbing around, climbing over them, walking yeah. on by. It's crazy. It's crazy. I wonder I wonder if the families still support climbing like overall, you know, or if they kind of use this experience as an example. Like it seems like that author, what was his name, Krakauer? You know, Krakauer. he he kind of turned his whole attitude about climbing around and said like this is a huge mistake i don't want to do this anymore nobody should do this um so i don't know i'm just curious if the you know like you said widowers have that same attitude or if they said like yeah go you know use my husband as a stop sign i wonder if they get the like the draw you know i don't i can't speak for like these people climbing but i can i've asked myself the same question when i'm scuba diving and if like conditions are bad i'm like why am i doing this this is not but it's like you're not meant to be humans are not meant to be underwater either you know that's what scuba stands for self-contained underwater breathing apparatus so it's like you're not meant Mm -hmm. to be underwater but it's like you want to explore this part of the planet even though it's dumb you know like you think about it it's dumb like it doesn't make any sense so i don't, I don't know well on, on that mm-hmm. note too like i, I know we, we we discussed this uh, beforehand was the great contradiction of being in the sub in a sub-zero environment suffering hypoxia suffering that uh it's the contradictory undressing it, it as it were so that's for me one of the most staggering things i've I, I, it's, it's sort of it's the most curious thing to try and comprehend because when you're really hot, you don't suddenly feel cool. You know, when you're overheating and you, you're dehydrated and you're sweating, you don't suddenly go, "Oh, I'm feeling a bit chilly. I want to pull a jumper on." But when you're at minus forty-five, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of feet in the air, you're going, "Oh, Jesus! I've got to put the speedos on." You know, like what, what, what's? How does that happen in the body, and why? Yeah, it's like truly one of the most. I think it's one of the most fascinating physiological responses that we have it's called paradoxical undressing <laughs> and the yeah paradoxical it makes no sense the um the doctor at that base camp mentioned it sort of in passing she's like i've seen these people at 8000 feet rip off all their clothes before they you know before they die and then just keeps going and doesn't explain it but um mm-hmm. it's fascinating it's basically where your body's protective measures in hypothermia break down um, she actually says, I've seen these hypoxic people and the science is not so great there. It's like more to do with the hypothermia and the temperature. But like your body, when you're really cold, it protects itself um, and it closes off those blood vessels that are sort of far away, like your fingers, your toes, your nose. That's why those things get cold first. Is that called vasoconstriction? Vasoconstriction, yes. Vasoconstriction, okay. Peripheral, mm. vas- peripheral vasoconstriction. And the point is to bring the blood to the core 
organs. That's why those things get cold first, your fingers and toes. So it's protective, but then- That sounds smart, actually. Yeah. But then when you're like so exhausted and you've been out in the cold for so long, those the muscles of those tiny blood vessels give way, your body sort of poops out and that mechanism fails and all those peripheral blood vessels dilate and you get this flushed feeling. <gasps> you know, when you've been embarrassed or something and you're flushed, it's in sure. your face, you know, it gets red and you feel hot, it's blood rushing to your skin and so wow. these people feel hot because the blood's rushing out and it's at, and then they end up taking off their clothes often but they actually feel hot it's basically a failure of your body's hypothermic wow. protective measures Th that's wow. the, that's the that's fascinating the best, that's the best description yeah. i've ever heard of it too because i mean, oh. I mean everyone can relate to being embarrassed or relate to feeling you know flushed yeah. yeah like flushed in the face is it, is it hot in here yeah yeah, I understand because it happens to Martin Henderson's character in it. Hendo is a Kiwi actor in it, and he he's right. he passes out in the mountain. He he goes, oh, it's so hot, and he takes his yeah. scarf off, and then he falls to his death. <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of the most famous instances of it was the the science fiction lore and all this kind of stuff. The Dyatlov Pass incident in Russia, where they found these people who were they were pretty much just in their undies, just in their Reg Grundies in the snow. And there's all these sort of conspiracy theories about what it is and why it happened, but that was what they were, it's what they were saying, that paradoxical undressing where they would have woken up in the middle of the night, middle of the blizzard, and they're feeling flushed and hot and, you know, irritable and, yeah, no Bacardi necessary to put your pants on your head. I related to that just because I feel so uncomfortable and out of my element in the cold in general that I was like, oh, really? that guy probably just lost his mind. And just took off all his clothes and then died because yeah. I could see that happening. That could be part of it too. And there's like the hypothalamus in the brain. If that's all affected, then you're it's sending mixed signals to. But the, yeah, that it's that other mechanism that happens a lot. And that's interesting. Like the people misinterpreted what might be happening to these people that they find. Yeah. There's been police reports I know, of like studies, of police reports of like finding these people naked or undressed, and like they might be making up these other stories for what you know what happened. It's not even spring break. It's not even, they're not even drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever a naked person turns up, it's like, oh, okay, let's start. What's, what could it be? Let's just talk about this for a while. And nobody suspects hypothermia. Nobody no, it never comes up. <laughs> never comes no up. No one suspects paradoxical undressing. <laughs> no, they're just like, okay, what drugs, what booze, what cult are they in? Like, that's immediately where it goes. <laughs> yeah, well, paradoxical undressing in Australia is actually the other way. It's actually putting clothes on top of your speedos. <laughs> It's the other way. <laughs> Everybody's going, why are you doing that, man? Chill out. Why are you doing that? <laughs> Come on, bro. Freaking grab beer, take your clothes off. What are we doing? You're in Australia. <laughs> chill, mate. Chill. Chill, dude. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. Can we talk real quick about this Trump-promoted dexamethasone uh, that Jake Gyllenhaal's character took a little bit of in this movie? Yeah. So, dex... There's a couple different drugs that people take on the mountain. There's Diamox and there's Dex, but the one you're asking about is Dexmethasone, which is a steroid, and it's um. Love that nickname, by the way, Dex. Sounds so cool. Dex, yeah. I know Dex and Di and Diamox is the other one um, that works entirely differently, but it's di you know it's an anti-inflammatory, so it's different. What Trump's getting is because they think there's this with coronavirus this this tremendous inflammatory response that caused a lot of people to like decompensate and then need to be on respiratory you know respirators early on. That's why he's getting it 
For altitude, it's often given if you have signs of altitude sickness, of acute mountain sickness that's severe, or if you're starting to develop some of the like pulmonary edema symptoms. Um, and the mechanism's not really understood for, for dexmethasone. It is for Dimox, but not for dexmethasone. It's an anti-inflammatory, mm. but the true mechanism's not really known, but it's really commonly used for altitude. Yeah. Okay. And d does it give you like a, how does it affect you uh, emotionally? Because obviously, when when Trump, who's, who's a lunatic at the best of times, like the, the bloke, <laughs> the bloke plays up like a two bob watch, and then they give him this thing, which which from my very limited understanding, only from listening to various doctors and scientists over the past few weeks, they say that it, it actually causes mood swings. It causes this these great senses of elation. Oh, life's fantastic! Here we go, you beauty. And, you know, but for him, it's more you know burned down democracy. Uh, but so on the mountain, do they give it to them to make them give them some energy to give them a boost? To you wouldn't give for the on the mountain. You wouldn't give it for that reason. You would give it if you're having symptoms of altitude sickness or pulmonary edema. Mm. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like what you're saying, what people are speculating. I'm I'm having a tough time with our president. Like, is it all no. because of the steroids or is, was it like that before? Um, before. <laughs> you can't tell. I can't tell, but it is what you're saying. There's some of that like mood lifting. There's energy lifting. There's um, increased appetite. They tell you these things. Like if you've ever had to take steroids for like an injury or severe asthma, they give you like a pack. It's a, it's a taper dose yeah. and you taper the dose for all these reasons that you're talking about so that you're not like withdrawing from steroids. If they, if they um, needed a boost, what do they, do they have like a Red Bull shot? Or uh, some sort of <laughs> five-hour energy injection. I don't know. They're talking about tea, a lot of caffeine, and which can actually improve your respir respiration a little bit at the beginning. I gotta say, if um, I'm stuck on a mountain, suffering, dying, and you tell me I'm bringing up tea, <laughs> it's like that's weak. And oxygen. Tea yeah. and oxygen. Yeah. Jasmine or lemongrass, which is gonna help. Yeah. Bring yeah. me a ham and cheese <laughs> croissant, some coffee. Bring me, come on, what are we talking about? Plus a canister of oxygen. Yeah, I also, uh, this this ties in pretty well, uh, since we do have to wrap up pretty shortly here. You're talking about Trump. You had a, a, one of your fantastic videos was about the importance of voting, if our vote counts, uh, which I saw, Sapna. Do you stand by that, or is that a waste of our time and we shouldn't vote? No, I 100% stand for voting. What that video was talking about was how it matters differently in different parts of the country mm. because of our electoral college. There are some states that traditionally just vote Democratic, like New York. Right. And so you could say, like, if I just skipped going to the poll, is it really going to matter? Um but the thing is, it does matter because there's other, it's not just a presidential, you know, there's a lot of other people on the oh, yeah. ballot to vote for. Um, and it matters in subtle ways in many of our swing states. It definitely matters. And there's also just like we have the right to vote. So it's like in principle, mm -hmm. but also like the local election parts, it matters. So I, yeah, 100% stand by, even though it doesn't quote count as much in some parts of the country if, if you're voting as everyone else's interstate i 100 think you should vote yeah big time so important uh super i think our electoral college is flawed tremendously but since we can't change that at the moment yes vote that uh, the electoral college is the most archaic system of government i well it's just selecting a government i think i've ever See, I mean, it had purpose once, but it's like the appendix, you know, it had a purpose once and now who really knows? Uh, in Australia, voting is compulsory. So 
it's it's everybody as soon as you turn 18 you are enrolled immediately on the on the electoral roll every election is held on a saturday um every and you don't ha- you don't have to vote you can sh- but you just got to get your name marked off you can take the paper and screw it up throw it in the bin but it's you have to partake in the process and you actually get fined if you don't you get fined like 20 bucks you get an angry oh, letter i love that saying, wow. yeah you get an angry yeah. letter you get an angry letter basically saying we're very disappointed in you, you know? oh, i love <laughs> that then, i didn't know that at all yeah so it's actually compulsory so when i came here to a country where of course uh politics and democracy I mean, there's a lot of arguments to say that the United States basically saved democracy after the Second World War. Um, and it is such an emphatic, righteous part of the culture um, to see kind of the apathy. Yeah, voting is essential, Sapna. It's absolutely essential. Yeah, where are you? Can you vote here? Are you st- still an Australian citizen? or I'm an Australian yeah. citizen, but I'm an American resident. Okay. And I'll, I'll be, yes, I'm on a green card. I'll, uh, I'll be able to vote next year. But I'm actually working the polls. I'm actually going to be a poll cool. worker. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited. Cool. I actually, I'm doing three days of poll working uh, starting October 30th. Wow. And it's going to be really- Good on you. Thanks, mate. I'm, I'm actually really, I, I wanted to do it because I was curious. I mean, this is the most important election in at least 150 years so yeah well and you're pretty jacked up so if these like <laughs> poll watching republicans come around you know you can i'm gonna let fly up. mate i'm gonna let fly that's right <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> we're gonna throw <laughs> that's down what i'm talking about <laughs> and i totally agree with you by the way the electoral college needs to attempt to climb everest and freeze <laughs> to death yes Paradoxical undressing. Right? Yes. Yes, yes. So <laughs> stupid. We can have a paradoxical undressing yes. of the government. Yeah. <laughs> Die. Oh, uh, we need that so bad. It makes no sense. It's like a weird twilight zone where the more you learn about the electoral college, the worse it gets somehow. No, it's, it's intriguing. And it, it does make for fascinating reading when you go back to the history of the democratic evolution of the United States. Um, but it is, of course, there are so many principles which just have no point nowadays with the the shifting of demographics and also this administration's attempts to hinder the census, which is an essential part of understanding and making sure the Electoral College is representative. If all of our talk about uh, Everest and explorers dying and freezing their limbs off didn't uh, excite you, now we're into (laughs) into uh, them trying to persuade us not to vote. Yeah. (laughs) These sick bastards. Um, Okay, so first of all, thank you both for for joining us today. I had such a wonderful time, uh, even though there were some dark topics uh, speaking to you about this movie. You're both so wonderful. Zach, obviously, people need to look out for Occupation Rainfall. When does it come out? How can we see it? What's the deal with that? Uh, it's premiering in Australia on October 30th. Um, and the cinema release will be, I mean, obviously, coronavirus is making things complex. But the cinema release will probably be a few weeks after that. Yeah. Uh, as far as US release, it will be early 2021. And that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, Jason nice. Isaacs in that with Ken Jeong and Tim Morrison and uh, this wonderful cast of people. It's really exciting. And it's a sequel to Occupation, which is on Netflix over here currently. Um it's very big, it's very loud, it's very fun. And I'm about to start shooting another movie called Zero Road, which is an American film about a couple of teenagers trying to escape a small town in Wyoming. And I play a, uh, I play, I play a drug dealer. <laughs> Perfect. I'm oh, just... all right. You barely have to try. No, exactly right. Yeah, so that, that's out early 2021. Cool. Oh, yeah, that is awesome. I cannot wait. And uh, and people can watch actually the trailer for Occupation Rainfall. Uh, that is online. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, the trailer is available now. Yeah, the trailer is available online. And it's, uh, it's very big. It's very fun. And it's, you know, aliens versus humans. But it's, it's, uh, it's got an Australian and an American voice. Yes. 
Excellent. Uh, Supna, where can people find you online? What's going on with you? Um, you can find me. You can find me on Twitter. It's Supna underscore Parikh. I feel like I should up my Twitter game. Um, yeah, I'm at supna.myc if you want to send me a message. And my other website is explorenza.com, which is a work in progress, um, but soon to be more like public health travel videos, some nerdy stuff. Oh, yeah. great. Nerdy really cool. Stay updated on Explorenza. Yeah, kind of like influenza. I don't know. <laughs> you want people that? to think about the disease every it, time. But now maybe why not? <laughs> I need uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And and definitely awesome. check out and check out Sepna's uh photos too. They're absolutely amazing on her oh, website. Thank you so much. Thank you, Zach. Yes. Absolutely gorgeous stuff. And um yeah, thank you both once again for for coming on and uh hopefully we can have you back to talk about some sort of like fun uh, Pixar movie about talking animals and stuff. <laughs> Where no one dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> no one dies. Actually, there's no conflict in the plot at all. It's just yeah. like, it's just animals hanging out, just having a ball. That sounds great. It's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, del- <laughs> that's what it's called. It's delightful. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See ya. See you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive peak deucer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadScienceAtSeeker.com. That's BadScienceAtSeeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.